hello and welcome to the Silver Linings Podcast. We have another amazing episode and interview for you here today. I am your host, Scott Stevens. We're just getting started, obviously, with this whole project, but I would like to thank each and every one of you for your support thus far in listening to the podcast. Uh, If this is your first time, please go back and listen to the other episodes we've posted so far. You won't regret it, I promise. There's only three there, so it's not like I'm asking you to go back and watch 14 seasons of Grey's Anatomy or something like that, like maybe my wife did to me, but that's neither here nor there. As always, we could use your help by giving us either a review and or a rating on the iTunes store if you like what you hear. Um, You can be sure to subscribe there as well if you haven't already done so. That way you'll be able to stay up to date whenever we post our new episodes. We'll also continue to post more pictures and videos on our Instagram account, and you can follow us there at Silver Linings Podcast. We'll give you more, a little bit context and backstory for each of our guests uh, that we have on, so you can follow us there and stay up to track and meet those guests a little bit more. But I'm really excited for you to hear this story we have, so here is my interview with Steve Tate. Hi, everybody. We are back again for another episode. I'm sitting here with Steve Tate. Um, We are going to talk about his amazing story from his family and the things he's been through. Steve, thanks for coming on and having this chat with us. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So just to jump off from the start and get started, the way I like to do this is ask people the same three questions every time so that they have no idea who you are, uh, what is your basic story. So the three questions are, who are you, what do you do, and what happened to you? So um, my name is Steve Tate, as you mentioned. Um, my, um, I think myself. How would I explain myself? I've gone through some identity crisis in, the, in over the years. So I used to be known as Steve Tate, the former football player, right, or for football player at the University of Utah. Um, and then it quickly kind of transformed into Steve Tate, the dad, the professional dad. When we found out we were having triplets. So we already had three kids, and we had uh, we had uh, three additions. So I became kind of like this Steve Tate, the guy who had triplets, who went for number four and ended up with some bonus babies. And then, um, like uh, life tends to do, that threw a curveball at us, and I became Steve Tate, um, Hayes's dad. And Hayes was my uh, my son, and um, he was he was the triplet, the youngest of the triplets. At nine months, we found a brain tumor, and he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. So we went through a long battle with the, with cancer, going through the chemotherapy and the stem cell transplant, um, ups and downs, and then we uh, uh, eventually Hayes lost that battle um, in uh, December of 2016. Okay. All right. So that's the uh, quick version of everything. We're gonna get in and mm-hmm. in break all that down and talk about that and what we've what you've learned from that and what other people have been able to use his example for and stuff like that um but i like the way you do that you you have worn multiple hats it seems like what most people know you for you've got so a couple things going on some you mentioned father of Hayes. Mm -hmm. some may know you for that for the Hayes tough foundation and Mm -hmm. things like that some might know you um for your what we can call a little bit of an Instagram celebrity. Uh, <laughs> I guess you could call it that. Yeah, uh, Steve, if you haven't felt, uh, if you don't follow him already, if you don't know what we're talking about, and we'll link to this on our social accounts as well. Steve has, does some hilarious. Uh, I don't know if you call them parodies or stories or jokes or whatever it is, but uh, 
that just has a really uh, personable profile there and does some amazing things. He's got a big following. Um, but then, and I will uh, expose myself here a little bit. What I knew Steve from, and this will embarrass me, I grew up idolizing Steve Tate, the football <laughs> player. So Steve was uh, closer to the age of my older brother. He played football. He played at Skyline High School where I grew up and was Mr. Football way back in the day, yeah. 2001. Yeah, good memory. Uh, well, I, I told you, I worshipped <laughs> you, man. I, uh, make, again, I don't know why I'm even admitting this. I can no, just stop great, talking. But I had a shrine. Keep, no, keep to, it going, man. This I is had great. a shrine to Steve Tate on my wall in my bedroom where I'd cut out clips and pictures of That's him great, in, the, in the local newspaper and everything like that because... You know, high school football was everything. That was everything. Growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And then he went on, played at the University of Utah. I believe you were captain, mm-hmm. right? Played safety yeah. there. Um, went on to win one of the one of the uh, BCS bowl games. Yeah. yeah. So had a quite the career there. And now some people, if you don't already, you may know Steve Tate as the author um, of a new book called The Twenty Month Legend, where he basically goes through and chronicles all of what we're going to talk about today um, with his son Hayes and the story of and the battle that they went through for all of that. So a lot of different things you might Absolutely. know him from, but yeah. hopefully you'll know him now as the latest guest on the Silver Linings podcast yeah. here. Excited to be here. That's great. Um, so let's go all the way back. I want to talk. It started out then for your family, you and your wife, Savannah. Yeah. You mentioned in, in a lot of your posts and stuff like that, you guys were high school sweethearts. So you yeah. guys talk about what, what just your relationship and like the start of your family maybe. Yeah. You know, uh, Savannah and I grew up together, so we actually met when we were... Um, 12 years old we're kind of that old school like you know uh high school romance uh we we actually grew up we were friends um our friends hung out savannah and i hung out we were like i mentioned we were more more friends than anything I, I had this you know kind of crush on her but we were um we just got along really well um uh and and towards the end of our senior year we we decided hey you know what better way to um spend some time with someone that you care about, you get along with. So at that point we started dating a little bit and, um, you know, by the end of our senior year, we were kind of exclusively dating. And, um, I went on to play my freshman year before I left, uh, on a, on a church mission to Argentina and, uh, Savannah was, uh, was loyal and kind of stood there, waited for me to get back after two years and, and we got married. Um, so yeah, we, we were kind of that, um, uh, you know, cheesy teen love type story, but, um, <laughs> You know what? It, it's worked for us, um, and you know, as as you see, if you follow us on social media, a lot of kind of we understand each other. We've been through some you know, ups and downs, and um, we've been through some life challenges. And I think that 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 relationship we built over the years has kind of helped us guide, kind of guide guide us through it. Absolutely. So let's talk then about all the kids. So you yeah. started out. You mentioned. You ended up having triplets. You ended up having six, yeah. but I don't know that that was the plan no. from the beginning, right? No. Like if you look at my life was. Here I, I, I am by trade a financial planner and nothing was ever planned with my life, which is um, kind of ironic. Um, my son, my oldest son is almost 12. We got pregnant when I was, at, we were we were married um, only about a year when I was at the University of Utah playing football. Um, and if you've done any research on college athletes, um, needless to say, they don't make a whole lot of money. And, and so we were poor and we were on the, we were on the top ramen diet you know, Nutrigain bars, you name it. And uh, here we were bringing a life into the world because Savannah, somehow, she she won't admit, but somehow she didn't, she wasn't faithful and diligent on her uh, on her controlling of certain situations. And so here we go, surprise, and we had our first son, Bo. 
And then two years later, my senior year, we found out we were having uh, our, our daughter, Mia. And so then the family started. And um, So your family of four before you graduate college? Or I was right no, just then. two. And then, or, and, sorry, yeah, it's yeah, family of two. So our oldest two. And then um, finally started a career in, in pharmaceutical sales, a medical device, and said, you know what? Let's plan for one. So we actually planned for one of these. And that was um, our third child, which is Wes. And then uh, we kind of got the itch after Wes was uh, a um, he was almost three, and we said, "You know what? This let's let's add to this family." And um, I always wanted four. She always wanted six, five or six. I always wanted four, and this was kind of the ongoing fight, you know, and battle and argument. Well, she won. She won. You know, <laughs> surprise. Um, you know, life. maybe not the way either of you expected. No, it. no, not not at all. No, it was not not the way we planned. Not the way we expected it. Um, you know, I almost passed out when when we found ourselves at the. Uh, at the OBGYN appointment and they did the ultrasound and I'm, I'm staring up at the screen and the doctor you know, turns to me and says, well, you two sure know how to make babies. And you know, she said plural. And I said, now what do you mean babies? She said, well, there's three in here. And uh, that was it. That was kind of how she broke the news to us. And within a few minutes we became legends in that, uh, that doctor's office. Yeah, <laughs> right? Seriously. I mean, nurses came out. I mean, we were, I was I was delir- I mean I almost passed out I was I, I I couldn't think straight I was just in total shock um, and uh, so we found ourselves yeah having uh, being now parents of, of six kids with three obviously with triplets what, what how do you, what do you even do to prepare for you, something like that you I mean, kind of go you you go through you know you go through a few stages so you go through like the shock phase and and the shock phase lasts lasts for like honestly six months. Then you kind of go through um, this preparation phase where, okay, you're now coming to terms with the fact that you're actually going to have three babies. And then it becomes like the financial phase where you're like, everything you look at is dollar signs. You know, babies are expensive enough. and But when you're adding three to everything, you're buying like three cribs, three car seats, you know, um, every you name it, three, uh, three high chairs mm-hmm. and dollar signs so you know you kind of went through all three phases of this when preparing for the babies but the reality is there's no there's no preparation it, it's just survival mode and um yeah we the babies came and um it was uh it was crazy it was interesting enough i was so like i went through a full panic mode there was there was something that triggered um in fact we found out we were having triplets and i didn't savannah and i didn't talk for like two days and finally, like the silence broke because I was looking and I don't know if it was on social media, whatever it was, I saw an ad or I saw a post for Disneyland and it, it set me off. Like I've never, I, I feel like I can remain calm. This thing set me off and I, I start freaking out. I'm like, Savannah, we're, we are never going to Disney. We are never going to give our kids this experience. We're never going to be you know financially stable to give our kids this experience and it, it was like full on like Chevy Chase mode, you know, about to you know chainsaw the the banister in the house type thing moment. Um, but uh, that was kind of my breakdown, and then from yeah. that I went through those those three phases, and and then the triplets came. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I went through that with one. Our yeah, first right. Baby was like, I know. I was going through the dollar signs yes. of like, how do you pay for all of this? <laughs> right. What do you do? Mouths to feed, and I imagine at that point, so you're expecting it to be. Child just number four. Yeah. Going from three to four would be the normal, right. what everybody right. else goes exactly. through, the progression. 
and at that point you're thinking, okay, we've got hand me downs. Right. You've had boy and yeah, girl, right? So you've exactly. got exactly. We've either, got both. We've got both. But then it goes, okay, well you've got to triple up everything. Yeah. I can't. I mean, I didn't even think about that car seats yeah. and oh, yeah. high chairs. The and, things you never. I literally bought. So I'm I'm at. We had the babies, and I sold. I had just bought an Acadia the year before, a, a, you know, GMC Acadia, and I literally had to sell it while while Savannah's in the NICU with the babies. I'm selling my car in the parking lot. I sold my GMC. They asked, you know, so I, you know, I did a for sale by owner here with the local classifieds, and and the guy said, well, okay, where do I meet you? I said, I'm actually at the hospital. So he pulls up. I gave him the keys. He gives me the money. And then I had to call a friend um, who actually happened to be in, in auto sales. I said, I need a Suburban. Give me the biggest thing you have. So he went and he got me a Suburban. I, sight unseen, I just said, whatever you have, just give me the freaking car. And so that's how it went down. We I bought the car in the in the hospital parking lot. Yeah. So yeah, everything, you name it, it just started adding up. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Did it change in the hospital? I mean, after the hospital, once they're born, like... Was it still stress level a little bit, or did it immediately go? No, you know, we went, we, we um, it was, the, the for the first time, you, you, when the babies came home, it was this panic mode where you're just, you, you, you've got to stick to this order and this, this, it's like an orderly fashion, right? It's almost like you're running a business with babies here. You got, you had to keep into a schedule. So every three hours we fed these babies. And then my wife and I, and, and this is kind of why I think it, it, it the story of us knowing each other goes back and is, is somewhat meaningful because we just understood each other and, and we worked the teamwork and you know meant a lot at this point because um, we got it to the point where these babies were feeding every three hours um, and then what we would do we would take turns and we'd mm-hmm. take shifts so I would go to bed excuse me she would go to bed at nine I'd feed the babies she'd go to bed at nine I'd I'd stay up till twelve and I'd feed them she would wake up at three. And then I'd go, to, I'd go to bed right after I fed him at midnight, and then I'd wake up at six. So we we both got wow. six hours of consecutive sleep, and we figured if we can get six hours of consecutive sleep, we'll be able to get through this this feeding phase. And and it we did, and it was amazing. It was you know interesting enough. I was, you know, when I went through those phases of when the babies were coming, it was panic shock phase, and then it was this uh, amazing uh, almost out of this world type experience of just like this loving, this loving component I never felt as a dad. And I think a lot of it is because, and, and you probably know Scott, but like when you have one child and especially like one child, I say that like most people have triplets, right? The normal <laughs> when non-wizardry type yes. stuff. Um, usually it's the mom that does all of it, right? It's kind of the mom, you know, we're, dads were there for entertainment and, and the babies really don't even know you until like nine months and then finally they're like, who's this guy that's been hanging out? And that's when they get the bond with the dad. But before nine months, you know, you, the dads don't have that bond. They don't, if they're not the ones nursing, obviously, and, and, and mothers kind of get that bond. Because I was involved with them at such an early age, like right from the start, I, I just had this connection with them and there was a bond and just a, a sense of reward that I never had. And it, life was amazing. I mean, it was probably, I shouldn't even say probably, it was by far the best time of my life, oddly enough. Yeah, I mean, we got through it. I think we depended so much on each other. We grew closer um, as a couple, as probably as a family. 
And, you know, here we had these babies and they, they almost provided that entertainment for us. They were kind of our, our, our livelihood. Yeah. And probably coincidentally, the most challenging yeah. time period of your life. Oh, right? absolutely. It led to be the most rewarding. Absolutely. I mean, I found myself like, you know, falling like falling sick mid midday driving to my driving to my appointments just like sun blazing in my eyes i have no sleep and it was crazy and you know people a lot of people refer to it as like a dream other triple parents will say that's just a dream phase i don't remember any of it and to a certain point that that is true you just kind of you're in survival mode getting through it but it, it was amazing how much even though it was kind of so chaotic it was it was so much there was so much bliss it was just it was blissful it was great it was it was amazing is there like a is there like a triplet support group? Oh, there is. It's, yeah, the, yeah, these. I'm telling you, you you think like the Italian mafia is close? You wait till like if, if no, I don't say wait because you're not gonna have triplets. Like <laughs> yes, I said, sorry, I'm not again. going to. Yes, but oh yeah, if you're if you have a, if you have triplets, there is a triplet support like group on Facebook, and these people. I mean, it, you talk about a close knit. It is like the Italian mob, and they. They bounce back ideas back and forth. The triplet moms like every year get together and do things. So yeah, That's it's crazy. Hilarious. So what was that like then? At what age was it? And how did you guys find out about Hayes' condition for the first time? Yeah, so we like I said, it was life was amazing. And then we got to this point. Um, it was December of uh, 2015, and we 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 watched these babies progress, and we watched Hayes, and Hayes was kind of our underdog fighter, and. I connected him on that level because I kind of felt even throughout my sports world, maybe not in high school so much, but when you got to college, I just kind of felt like that underdog and overachiever. And that was Hayes. You know, he was he was the first out of the hospital, first to to crawl, first to sit up, all this, all these amazing things. And then there was this point in December when when he when he stopped progressing, and and it happened to be simultaneous to the point where these uh, these babies were all getting ear, ear infections, and so we kind of thought it was that, but. Um, there was there's, it was actually New Year's Eve and I had the baby solo. Savannah was out doing something and I, I was observing Hayes and Hayes at this point was taking a couple naps. He was taking one more nap than his brother and sister and it just didn't feel right. I mean I, I and it brought me to tears. It was like this I, I just something hit me. It kind of like the the parent parental instincts and I, I I remember texting Savannah saying something's going on with Hayes and I, I don't think things are right right now and unbeknownst to me at the time she was actually out with her sister and she was voicing her concern to her sister at the same time she she felt the same she was she was with holding from me because she didn't want to alarm me but i was feeling the same thing so uh, i was december of 2015 and we we went to the doctor and we uh we searched for answers and doctors turned us away so we went to pediatricians and they said no it's a virus it's a virus oh yeah you know and we knew it wasn't a virus. I mean, there was just something kicking us, and this, our instincts were just, you know, going off, exploding inside us. And and um, you know, four four appointments, it turned away, it turned us away, saying it was just a virus. And um, we were persistent, um, and and we went to. I couldn't go due to some some work obligations. With Savannah, went to this one pediatrician, and you know, she went in there really concerned. She showed videos of Hayes. At this point, Hayes was. He could hardly lift his head up. I mean, it was it was much more than a virus, and the, and she blew it off. This this pediatrician here locally blew it off completely and said, "I'm not worried and uh, at all." And and she turned Savannah away, Hayes away. At this point, Savannah told me and called me, so I called this pediatrician and I challenged her. I mean, I said, "This is not a virus, and if this is a virus, the the other babies would have this virus, and and they're fine." 
and I know my child and I had somewhat of a heated exchange with this doctor and you know her final words were you need to stay off Google and if, if you ever if she said you know if, you, if I was really concerned about your child he'd be in the ER right now you need to stay off Google and um, you know, he's just got a virus and then she said I have other clients to attend or patients to attend and that's how she hung up and I you know there's at the point and I explained in the, in the book that I wrote but it was just like it was this rage for the first time I, you know I go through some cons- you go through all these emotions you go through this concern and then I hit rage and just just um, to the point where I just deflated nobody was listening to me and she and she just blew me off the next day and, and Hayes was throwing up at this point so progressively kind of it's getting be, worse yeah it's, it's getting worse his, his symptoms are showing a little bit more you know, in, in our, in, in the, I hate to even defend the doctors because, you know, some of them were so uninformative um, or unhelpful to us, but uh, he was more, he was just lethargic. And then, and then the throwing up started to be a little more consistent. Well, the following day he threw up and we, um, I started doing some own research on the side. I thought in my own mind, I thought it was uh, meningitis. And so I did Google, um, kind of the symptoms for whatever reason meningitis stuck out and they told me to monitor the soft spot the baby's soft spot um, on their on their heads so I fortunately I have two other babies to compare haze to so I would I grabbed the two and I felt the soft spots and I felt hazes and it was raised hmm. and they said that's the sign for meningitis so I immediately panicked and I went to Savannah I said there's something going on I think he's got meningitis at that point um, we decided to take him to the ER and um and uh, on, it was January 7th, 2016, we took him to the ER in Primary Children's Hospital here in Salt Lake City. And you just probably, I mean, the fact you know that date, I mean, I know it's in the book, oh, but I'm sure yeah, it's there's, burned in your mind, Yeah, right? like, I mean, there's a, there's there's dates, you know, I, 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 I talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, everyone knows what happened September 11th, right? Everyone knows where they were if they were born. Yeah. That's a date, You. it doesn't matter what... Um, how many years go by you still remember exactly what you were doing when you you know remember the towers going down mm-hmm. January 7th was that day for for me and it you know I, it's one of those days where I'll never forget the the day my life changed forever yeah absolutely so yeah. was it in the ER then that you got the diagnosis yeah you know um, I was driving as I drove Hayes to the hospital um, we loaded him in the car uh, my neighbor came over to watch the other babies we were taking the drive um, and it's about a 10-minute drive from my house. And I remember just getting on the freeway. You know, and I just remember peering back at Hayes. And he was in his car seat, you know, faced away. And um, we were stopped. You know, we got to the stoplight off the freeway. And I just remember peering back and, and looking and, and kind of knowing and, and looked at the innocence in his eyes. And um, kind of knowing that this drive was going to this drive was significant in our lives. You know, I knew it was almost like I was, I was so prepared with what was ahead that I was cherishing this drive so much because it was the last point at which our lives were going to be normal again. I mean, that's how, that's how significant I knew this, this illness was. And, um, and I remember looking at Hayes and unbeknownst to him, he's just looking out the window. But as a dad, I just remember feeling that, I had that feeling that our lives are about to change. And sure enough, we got him to the ER. And fortunately, that doctor at the ER 
she, for the first time in my life, I felt like this doctor was looking at us from not a professional, uh, not from a medical standpoint, but from a concerned parent standpoint. She was a mom. Happened to be she was she was female. Um, and I felt like she was finally addressing Hayes as a child and not as a patient. Mm-hmm. And she saw the concern in her in our eyes, and so she, rather than go through the classic, you know, um, medical uh, tests and procedures, she went and I, she just asked what I what we needed, and I said I need it. We need a CT scan, and they did a CT scan, and um, I remember getting the CT scan and then just waiting in that room, and like I said, like it was very similar to the drive just waiting in that room and soaking up just you almost soaked up that those those 15 minutes of uh of what would be a time in our lives that was still um i guess uh normal normal yeah Yeah. and we were soaking that up because i knew whatever followed was not going to be normal and sure enough she came in she says i know i have answers and she put the black and white image of Hayes's tumor and it was a tumor that took up a third of his brain the size of a lemon and uh yeah here we saw this black and white beast staring back at us yeah i just can't even imagine getting that sort of news and how that might just affect you right i mean i even just when our little baby boy has been sick or battled anything and you see that look in their eyes it's just that yeah innocence to i think you said it right and like this there's nothing they can do, and they right. just feel terrible, and you wish there's something you could do. Yeah, I mean, nothing breaks my heart more over a common cold sometimes, right. even or something like that. So to hear that, I'm sure it just was a traumatic, crazy experience. Do you, at that point, does the doctor give you, you know, from a prognosis standpoint, and what you expect, or maybe doing research after the fact? Like, at what point do you start being like, okay? You know, this percentage of people can beat this, or is that well? You know, you I think there's, you know, of of all the things you don't want to, of all the things you're not prepared in life to hear. There's really kind of two, and I heard both of them. There's your child has cancer, mm-hmm. and your child has a brain tumor, and there's nothing in life that really prepares you for that. Um, so when she told us that he had a brain tumor. There's really nothing in life that prepares you for that. Um, you know, you go from this supportive role to your wife to this dad, and you're kind of torn back and forth, and you're trying to console your wife, who's literally just in shambles, tears, and then you got your son. And we didn't know, and at that point, we didn't know the prognosis. We knew that this we had to eliminate this beast that was in his head, and so they immediately scheduled surgery, and the neurosurgeons came in, and there's just this flood of team that came in when we were in the ER and so you, you became you went you didn't have much time to just it was it was okay now now the fighting gloves come on yeah and and you kind of went through this hour two hours of just chaos and how do I handle this and then the fighting gloves come on and you say okay you know they have a they have a plan in, in place to get rid of the tumor and it's like okay we got to get rid of the tumor before we can go to address the second issue which is possibly cancer you know they, they didn't know through the image but in a, in a nine-month-old, a tumor in his brain, most likely, it's not benign. You know, I mean, there's there's reasons behind that, and so, um, and and they were prob they were 
they were aware of that, but they hadn't had the pathology, to the, 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 t- the test yet to, to let us know for sure. Mm-hmm. So you, I love that analogy at least, though. You put on the fighting gloves right there, and that's the beginning of this incredible journey of fighting this thing. What was it like on Hayes? I mean, I know obviously he's at a young age, so he can't tell you, but what do you think, like, what was it like watching him go through that? Uh, you know, I think it it was it was hard, you know. I mean, I think the hardest thing for me is that I wanted to take everything away. And as a dad, you're supposed to take everything away, and that's your job. Dad's jobs are supposed to kind of take things away. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't take it away. And that was the start of... of a battle that I, I went through as a dad of not being able to take this away and seeing my son and seeing him in pain or seeing him get tests or seeing him, you know, stick an IV in so that they could um, do uh, other procedures, you know, for the first time and, and to make it even more difficult, I felt was I couldn't explain to him. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was a little older, I'd be able to explain things, but he was nine months old. And so he's only looking at body. He's looking at you, your reaction. He's looking at your body language. And I'm doing my best to kind of control all three of those components so that I at least made him a little bit um, comfortable and not panicked. And so I that was really the start of a, a battle that I went back and forth with. Yeah. And then... At what point you start getting a? Do you start finding out what you can actually do? Like, did they did they operate on that brain tumor and get it out? Yeah. So immediately, um, they went through this. They went through this uh, protocol. They went through a protocol for us where um, immediate surgery needed to be done. So within within two hours, we were um, Hayes was sedated. And they placed him under sedation. They put a tube in. They intubated him um, because they needed to do an MRI. And because he was doing an MRI, um, being that he was nine months old, they had to basically have him in kind of a sedative state. And so he was uh, intubated, and we were left, Savannah and I were left there at the hospital, stay overnight with Hayes, who was intubated. Um, And so we were sitting there in the ER with, uh, overnight with Hayes just basically in a sedative state and Savannah and I were left sitting in a chair in um, in just our thoughts and trying to somehow control our thoughts while supporting each other mm-hmm. and um, yeah probably of all the loneliest times I've ever faced in my life that that January 7th day was probably the top of the list yeah and then what was the, so the following months that came after that and him recovering from, from surgery and battling the cancer and stuff like that? I mean, what is that like? Because that probably affects the home life. It affects the other kids. It yeah. affects everything. You know, so they got rid of the tumor and they, they were able to get the majority of the tumor. Um, and that was great news. And so we, we were now kind of set on what the next phase was. And the next phase was chemotherapy. And then we were we were set to do this chemotherapy, and um, which entailed... Uh, eight months and the jury would be in, in, uh, inpatient chemotherapy, um, which meant Savannah would be staying overnight at the hospital while I, um, attended the 
the five other kids at home. Mm-hmm. So um, that she was... She had to stay there all the time or what was... Well, so Hayes' protocol called for him to be in the hospital for 24 straight days. Okay. He'd have seven days off. Got it. So every 24 days, she was at the hospital every day. And I attended my my kids. So what, what I, I'd do is I'd, I'd wake up at 8 o'clock. Well, I didn't wake up. I'd wake up at 6 o'clock, get the kids ready by 8 o'clock, get them off to school, make the lunches, do all those things, get the babies fed, hand them off to my mom at the time. I would leave for work till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, at which point I'd leave from the office to go straight to the hospital. Samantha would meet me in the ballet parking. We'd give each other a hug. She'd get in the car so she could see the kids at home. I would stay with Hayes till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And that was our routine. Jeez, for eight months. For eight months. That yeah. was our routine. Just, you know, survival mode, trying to mm-hmm. trying to be there and support. And, and, you know, I wanted to get my time with Hayes. She wanted to get her time with the kids. So this is this was the only way it worked. Yeah. I had to still work. You know, I had to still pay the bill. So, you know, I never missed, I never missed one day when he was yeah. sick. It was just I had to. I had to do what I had to do to, to be able to survive. And that was probably hard on you, on her. I mean, you noticed, did you notice a difference in each other and, and how that sort of thing happened? Yeah, I mean, you went through those moments, right? I mean, you went through those moments where you're sleeping alone at a time when you probably need each other the most. Um, but you you battle this, you battle this uh, desire to be selfish and you finally say, you know what, it's not about me or, you know, my my emotions of missing normality it's you know i'm putting those aside to 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 help my son and so we both knew when we had our moments we let each other have those moments but we kind of brought each other back to what was the most important that was haze and so we were willing to do whatever it took but it was it was hard you know it was hard for the kids um extremely hard when when they miss their mom they miss their you know their dad and you know, they all had their events. So they all, had, you know, we had baseball games every night, soccer games, dance, and we had to do. I had to do my best to either send them off with a neighbor, and or I would be at them for a few minutes, and I'd go to the hospital. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was, it was a roller coaster, and yeah. somehow, somehow, we 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 juggled it. I don't know how we got through it, but we 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 juggled it, and we were able to do it. Yeah. How did the chemo affect Hayes? Like, I mean, that must have taken a toll on such a yeah. young baby, right? Yeah. Did you start to notice much as it went through the, that long time? Oh, yeah. yeah. And he had, so there's there's different forms of chemotherapy. And, you know, you've got, it depends on the type of cancer. Brain tumor happens to be the worst type of cancer, obviously. And because of his aggressive state of, of his particular cancer, he had the, the most potent uh, form of chemotherapy possible. So, in fact, the doctors told us if, if he was an adult, the amount of chemotherapy that he was getting, he, he wouldn't survive. Based on the fact that babies are a lot more resilient, they can handle that. And so they would give him the basically the maximum amount allowable for, for babies to handle. And, and you saw, yeah, I mean, you sat back as a dad and, you know, he would get these mouth sores and he would, um, he'd have to be on, he'd have to be in on, on this pain medication all the time. And, He'd break out and he'd itch. He'd get mouth sores. He'd throw up, and then he just, as a dad, he sat back and he just said, "What am I doing?" Mm-hmm. But you knew deep down that was the only way to give us any chance for him to survive. Yeah. And so 
we uh you know we did we did whatever it took mm-hmm. we did whatever it took um we 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 tried anything and everything as a parent to make sure that we gave our kid whatever chance um it meant to prolong his life or give him a, a healthy long life absolutely that's all you can do probably at that point but then eventually you start getting some good news, right? I mean, it starts eventually turning somewhat of a corner for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we, we got news. Well, after his first round, actually second round, the doctors came back and said it's not working. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we were devastated. It wasn't working. And she wanted to change courses. We both had this strong desire to stay the course. We wanted, you know, we once again, we relied on our instincts. We said, and so we told her. No, we're not. And, and actually, the course she wanted to take was a home at-home therapy, at-home chemotherapy. Which so might have made it easier on your life. Yeah, so at this point, we're torn. You know, my wife and I sat back. And said, Our life would have been better as far as, you know, we would have been home. We would have been able to be with each other. But there was this, this sense that we got um, that we needed to continue the path. So we continued it and uh, told the doctor, no, we're going to stay on this path, which meant basically six more months of our same routine. And we were tired, we were worn out, but we felt like we needed to do that. By the end of the six months, um, the doctor gave us, you know, we had one more final MRI and it was basically all but um, in remission. Really? Yeah, so what we did... had gotten great news at this point. We, we had one step, big step, and that was the uh, stem cell transplant. But it was, we were told at this point it was in remission. Wow. So what is that? I mean, do they give you a hope then at that point at remission? Because that's with cancer, it's a it's a fine line because you're not cured from cancer, and the yeah. word remission even has a weird meaning and everything like that. I mean, what what does that feel like at the time, and what is your hope for? You know, it um, you learn early on that you never look too far ahead. And you've learned that so you never look too far ahead. You never look in the past. And so we would never ask that question. We never, I never asked probability. Um, and I never asked, you know, I just never asked odds. Yeah. I, I, I learned, I had a, there was a time where you had to learn to live in the moment. You couldn't look, you couldn't look behind and you couldn't look too far ahead. Because if you did, your mind would wander. And it wandered to dark places, or it would wander to things you couldn't control. So the the way I had to deal with this was I had to live in the now. And so, even though we were through and he was quote unquote in remission, I, I soaked up the now. And that's one thing. As I look at my story and and what we've what we've been through, I learned to embrace the now, mm-hmm. and it has made me such a better dad because. When Hayes was diagnosed on January 7th, any day after that point was a gift. I mean, I didn't think he'd make it through the night on January 7th based on the size of the tumor. And I didn't know. I was, you know, I hadn't been through it before, but it was an, it was enough of a, an ex, a scary experience to the point where if we could get through that and the next day, so, you know, I'd give anything for the next day. So it was just, I learned we've got to embrace the now. And so it made me a better dad because I didn't look in the future. And any any day that I was given with him following January 7th was just this blessing. And so um, despite the fact that he was, quote, in remission, I, I never looked too far ahead. I just said, okay, 
what does that mean? I, I don't know. And cancer, cancer comes back a lot. But I, I said, you know what? I'm going to embrace the time that he's not in the hospital. And we're going to make every day, you know, a, a gift. Yeah. I imagine that was probably a, a much happier time than to have that moment and just be here, yeah. be with him, have the whole family together and just yeah. focus on the good rather than having to worry about the harsh realities and the, the dark. Yeah. Like the simplicity of life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I took for granted the simplicity of life. And, and what is the simplicity of life? Well, the simplicity of life is being together under one roof. It's actually having all of your family members in the house at one time. It's not being locked up in a, in a hospital room. And, and it was that I cherished. And so when he was home, we would, I mean, it was, life was, we were on cloud nine. I mean, there were times where, I've shared it before, but we were, there were times where we would just grab Hayes out of his crib middle of the night we you know we were just catching up savannah and i were catching up just on on life that's happened or last that we had missed out on and we would grab haze and we just hold him in the middle of the night we'd wake him up mm-hmm. you know and and he was such an easygoing baby that he never cried when you waked him up and so we we would um we would wake him up and uh and just hang out with him and yeah i mean we we cherished every moment and it was it was amazing to have him home and not have to go to the hospital um, we we took advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I feel like the one thing, even healthy babies, sick babies, anything like that. Whenever I get stopped with with my baby, and I, you know, whether I look fra- maybe I look a little frazzled or something yeah. like that, holding him, people always just say, just enjoy it while it lasts. Like this is a yeah. fun age, yeah. you know, when they're really young because you never get it yeah. back, and they grow up and they, you know, they go through teenage years maybe or something like that. Right. And they, it just seems like everyone always says appreciate it while it lasts because before you know it it's going to be gone yeah and in this case you know whether it's not growing up but it may be just not being around at all yeah you really look back and those that time i'm sure was just such a special time for your whole family absolutely and i I look back you know and and fortunately um we i was able to get i was able to gain a little bit of that perspective because i i think if i would have gone too far ahead or if i would have looked too far behind I would have worried about things I couldn't control and it would have prevented me some extremely happy moments with Hayes. Mm-hmm. And those moments would have been, those happy moments would have been replaced with moments of worry and sorrow and pity. And so rather than concentrate on those, I was able to at least live in that now and just soak up those moments I got with him because I, I just, I, I didn't know what lied ahead, and I, I just I knew brain can you know brain cancer's not, it's it's not, I mean the odds are never in your favor, yeah. and and I kind of knew that, and so rather than you know kind of focus on the on the worry and the what ifs, it was just about embracing the time mm-hmm. the time I I got yeah, so then at what point or how long down the road did things kind of take a turn southward? Yeah, so we um. We promised each other in the hospital we were going to take a trip. So um, when we were in the hospital, we booked a trip to go to California. So we left for California. Uh, November 6th, we left. Uh, 2016, we left. And we got in the car and went on a road trip. And people thought we were crazy because we had triplets going on a road trip. And it was amazing. I mean, we it was it was surreal how just how perfect the, even this road trip of six kids yelling at each other. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was... Uh, picture perfect it was st- storybook type material where 
you know, the, the car rides, we were laughing, we were engaging and embracing the fact that Hayes was here. And it was, and so we soaked it in. We went to California and we went to Disneyland. And, uh, you know, seeing Hayes interact with, with Mickey, um, they shared a, a moment where, where Mickey was, you know, kind of doing his thing. And then we, we, we told him, this is Hayes. He's a, he's a cancer fighter. And, you know, Mickey all of a sudden dropped everything and just focused on Hayes and Hayes looked at him and we had these just incredible moments at, you know, Disneyland where it was just this magic experience because Hayes loved, loved Disney. They mm-hmm. kind of loved the Disney characters. And so, yeah, I mean, we just, uh, we enjoyed our, in California, I mean, there was a moment in which Hayes and I were sharing on the beach and, you know, it's the, it's actually the picture of the book where we embraced this moment of kind of out of this world type moment of father and son where he was he was thanking me for take you know for for what we had been through but taking him and and getting him away and i could i could feel the appreciation that um that he was giving me and it was just this heaven-like bond moment that we had and um and for, for one time in his life, since, you know, for basically the first time in 11 months, he wasn't attached to a cord. There was no one interrupting him. He was he was a boy. And we were kind of cherishing this moment in the swing. And um, once again, the kids were out, the other kids were out playing in the ocean. It was like, you know, for the first time, we didn't have a worry. It was mm-hmm. like, this was, we were normal. Yeah. And, um, uh, so we finished the trip, and as we were driving home, you know, you go through the phase of, you know, it's, it's always depressing going home from vacation. <laughs> drives a little longer. The drives a little longer. <laughs> you're not as excited. Um, and then we, I kind of felt like we were going back to reality, and the reality was still unknown. I mean, Hayes yeah. was in remission, but, and then he started showing symptoms and um, started throwing up a lot in the car, and we thought... You know, when we got home, we called the pediatrician. We thought it was his shunt. You know, he had to get a shunt in his brain to kind of help drainage in the brain. So we thought it was related to that. And then they did an MRI, and um, they uh, they did an MRI, and in that they found the cancer had returned. Mm-hmm. What was the plan at that point? I mean, was it, at that point did you know? there wasn't much hope or was there still again like we can keep fighting or so um they called us i happened to be coming home from the office and when i got home my daughter was in the kitchen and my daughter mia was in the kitchen and reese hayes's sister triplet sister was in the high chair and i was home for five minutes and in the kitchen and Savannah was cooking on the stove and the phone rang. And she answered the phone and um, I could tell when she looked at the phone who was calling. I could just tell by the, the, the worry. And within five seconds, um, Savannah became flushed and collapsed, dropped to her knees. And I remember knowing at that point 
that it wasn't good. And my daughter, who was nine at the time, was watching her mom collapse. And Savannah was in the fetal position on the ground, talking and you know gasping for air. And I remember as a dad being torn, because I had my daughter and my wife, and it was this torn moment. Who do I console? And I told Mia, I told my daughter to go take Reese and go play with her while I held Savannah. Um, and I, I didn't, obviously I, I wasn't asking questions. I knew what was, I knew what was going on on the other end. Um, and after about 10 minutes, she hung up the phone and she just sat there and she couldn't even verbalize what she just heard. And so we then went upstairs to talk about it. And, uh, you know, I did my best to hug her and, and then I asked the details and the doctor basically said, it, it's bad and uh, we, we only have a few options. And, um, and one of those options was we can make him comfortable. And hearing that, he, you didn't really need any other explanation when the doctor says, we can make him comfortable. You kind of know that that means that there's not much time left. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to hear that. I mean, anyone who's a parent, anyone yeah. who's been through anything like this, um, you just can't imagine getting that sort of call, that sort of news at any point is not something you ever anticipate or plan for, or prepare for. Um, but as a result of that, I mean, obviously, without needing to go into what, the, you know, yeah. don't need to relive and rehash everything. Yeah. I know you've been through it enough. The aftermath, though, and what you've done to honor Hayes. So it would have been probably about a month, a month later, right, that he had to live. Yep. Talk about the sort of things you you felt like you knew you could do to honor him and leave his legacy so that it wasn't just Hayes that lived here for, you know, just a short couple of years. Yeah. That this is something that everyone could remember and celebrate. Yeah, you know, um, as we shared Hayes' story, we got this overwhelming support from all over the world. And people were just showering us with messages and, and uh, support. And... And as we battled, as we went through this battle, we kind of realized how special Hayes was. And we didn't need reassurance from the outside world, but but there was a he had this persona, he had this this spirit about him that we knew was special and and, and unique. And um, and you kind of go through this as a parent of this, uh, you know how how can you how can you continue to live after going through something like this? And then you look at your other five kids, and you know they're looking at you. And, and that the only guidance they can get is as good as the one they're they're seeing in front of them. And so they're looking at us in hopes of finding just that hope and and how do they move forward. And I remember thinking, what would what do they need and what does Hayes need and what does Hayes want? So, you know, it was it, we could have very easily, you know, kind of entered that world of darkness and bitterness and, and been mad and, and we still have those moments, but 
how can we honor him? And and so we immediately felt like we needed to start a foundation and we needed to we needed to live for Hayes. Um, he only had 20 months to live, and so what better way to honor him than to to live for him and start a foundation and and you know two weeks after he passed away i got this impression i needed to write a book about him and and, and tell his story and mm-hmm. he had such an overwhelming footprint in just 20 months imagine if we continue to grow that footprint and how big his legacy can get and at that point you know you sit back as a dad and you wish he's here and you want things to be different but you can't help but smile and 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 just be in awe of what he has created and what we've been able to create because of him and because of our story. Yeah, and that's something I've learned in some of these other episodes of people we've talked to. I mean, obviously, death is never something you would ever choose or want to go through. Right. But once it happens, you know, when life comes at you and if death is involved with it, I've seen this this kind of rally this, in this story of Hayes, for example, here, that sometimes in death, the what you can make of it is that Hayes has had probably a bigger impact than he ever could have while being here. Yeah. And if there is, you know, playing into this theme, if there is ever a silver lining to something like that, it's think of all the lives that he has already touched, that he will continue to touch. And, you know, as people read more about this story and, and know more about your guys' family and the foundation, it's like, it just, you know, it's endless, right? The, yeah. the, the possibilities yeah. really are endless of, of the good it can do. Absolutely. You know, I think that's right. You know, I think... You know, unfortunately, there's very rarely to get storybook endings. Mm-hmm. But even even sometimes the best storybook endings are the tragic endings. And um, and this is it. Yeah, it ended. It, it, this this was a tragedy, and Hayes had a tragic ending, and I'd like for it to be different. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't still live, and you know that he doesn't live through us, and and his legacy will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's the one point I, I, I try to leave with people when I share my story is that his story doesn't end. And this, and this story is going to continue. And um, this is one that might, will be told for generations. And, and people are going to remember Hayes. And, and, you know, whether it's, coming up with a cure for childhood cancer, whether it's helping thousands of people, um, there's there's a lot to fight for still. Yeah. There's a quote I've seen you use a lot in your social media. You probably know it by heart at this point. There's a quote by Stuart Scott, who worked by ESPN, or worked for ESPN, yep. um, shortly before he died of cancer, gave this speech, and the line and the quote that I feel like just resonates so much says, when you die... It does not mean that you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live. I mean, just to hear that, you think, Hayes did not lose to cancer. The Tate family did not lose to cancer. This is a manner by which you beat it now with what you do. And you don't let it knock you down. You don't let it keep you down for sure. And just in the stuff you you guys do with the foundation – is already just the beginning of that. Yeah. You just recently, last week, I believe, had this a 5K race, for example, for the Hayes Tough Foundation. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what you guys do Yeah, the goal of the foundation? You know, interesting you shared that quote, and I, I've shared it before, and then Hayes was part of the Jimmy V Foundation on ESPN. Yeah. And he was the, the center 
centerpiece, and you'll still see him in commercials. And um, ironically, you know, he he is that same thing. You don't he he lived he beat cancer by the way he lived. And uh, when I saw him on ESPN, that was one of those surreal moments. I thought, man, I was I was blessed and very um, fortunate to have a son like Hayes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the foundation we it's been great. In our first year, uh, we were able to raise over one hundred fifty five thousand in just our first year, and it's just Savannah and I doing it, no mm-hmm. overhead, just out of our out of our garage. We're you know selling merchandise. We're uh, doing five Ks. We have a gala that we do every year, and um, and just through our social media is is how we get donations from people who care and are willing to um, help us out, and so that we can help other families and. So we last year we were able to sponsor eight families with um, grants of over five thousand each uh, to be able to go and create memories. And um, of those eight, I think three passed away. But but prior to them passing away, their families were able to um, cherish long-lasting memories with their loved one. One was able to buy a service dog that has helped kind of suppress some of the depression he was feeling from the side effects of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And now he has this service dog that he paid for with the grant that we gave him. And he brought it to the 5K. And um, just a lot a lot of great things that, you know, the void in our heart is never, will never be refilled. It will always be there. But each time we do something like that, that, you know, you have that canteen's kind of filled a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it goes away. And you feel lonely. And it goes away. And then we have another event, and you kind of fill it up. And so we find these these moments throughout our throughout the year where we've got to refill our canteen. And like I said, sometimes it feels selfish because when we help people, it's actually helping us more. Yeah. But it's it's the way we're coping and surviving. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an interesting thing, though, that looking at your guys' experience, what you did then, taking that trip that you talked yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So that's the type of thing that, that those moments that you, you will always have yeah. and no one can take away from you. So it sounds like that's the sort of thing that's what that we want. you try to provide. Whatever yeah. it is that the people need or want, yep. something that they can always, whether it's good or bad in the outcome of their story, yep. they have something to yeah, always remember by. And that's it, you know. Um, share, you know, create the story. And that story, you know, create that story. And, and we kind of really, we continue to tell our story. And, and that's part of it. The part of your story is take that trip. Yeah, make those memories. Yeah. Because the, that that's what you're going to keep. Mm-hmm. So another amazing thing that you've done more recently has just come out and been published is the book yeah. you wrote about all this. So it goes into much more detail, obviously, about all the stuff yeah. and the whole process of Hayes and things like that. What was the process like for you putting that on? Was it, I mean, was it both difficult and therapeutic, yeah. I imagine? Oh, yeah. You know, it was two weeks after he passed away. I got this impression that I had to write a book, you know, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I had to write this book. So I started writing in a basic outline. I didn't have any experience writing a book but I, I knew I had to write a book I mean it was it, it woke me up in the middle of the night and it woke me up and I, I knew some Hayes was telling me to write this book well then a few hours later I got to the office and I got a, a message on Instagram from a random follower that said I, I don't know why I've never messaged you before but I woke up this morning with this distinct impression to call to to write you in hopes of pushing you to write a book and I haven't heard from this person ever since. Uh-huh. And I had to screenshot it, and I sent it to Van. I said, I- "I've got to write this book." So I started writing this book. And any any free free time I got, I still was at the office. But when I come came home, I would get on my laptop, and kids were climbing on me, and I was just in a zone and mm-hmm. inspiration and, and memories flooding my mind. And I just put it down, and 
you know, I, I ended up writing 90,000 words in, in four weeks. Wow. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, like I said, Hayes has a bigger impact than we, we yeah. all know. And somehow uh, an agent, you know, a couple agents reached out to me and they were interested in my story and said, hey, I'd like to read your book. And one thing led to another. And, and next thing you know, the publisher wants to pick it up and, and they want to they wanna publish this book. Yeah. About the the life that he the, the our battles you know this twenty month story that talks about the ups and downs and and the miracles that happened I share a lot of some of the miracles we saw which you know were were just that miracles and um, and since its launch is like I said the release date was only uh, just recent but since its launch the feedback has been excellent as far as it it's helping other people it's helping those people that are dealing with losses that are dealing with tragic times in their life and. It's, it's kind of helping them, you know, survive those moments. But mm-hmm. it's also um, very applicable to pe- just parents, being a better parent. Yeah. You know, living in the now with their kids. I've had that's my, that's probably been the number one consensus with everything is yeah. it's helped them live in the now and not sweat the small stuff, but live in the now with that, that with their kids. Yeah. And so it, it really uh, pertains to so many, you know, different demographics whether it's a parent or it's the one that's dealing with tragedy um it, you know that that's kind of my hope with this story absolutely that's awesome I, I love that too the live in the now the being present in today's world that is constantly grabbing for more of your attention yeah. you know yeah. whether it's on social right. media or exactly. different things like there's a million different things you could do but there's probably just one main thing that you should do and if it's spend time with the people that that care about you a couple things i want to touch on that you said because one thing I'm a big believer on, this was our first episode of the podcast and the story of, of my friend Jeff Brown. What we pulled out of it was one thing that whoever that, that person that just sent you that message of just saying like, hey, I got this feeling you should write a book. That's something I'm, I've, I've been striving to live my life by in the sense of when you get those promptings and it's for another person or for just that you should do something or reach out, just do it. Yeah. You know, whether where, no matter where that feeling may be coming from, like the other person will only benefit from hearing that if it's something nice to say or something you think they should do. You know, um, I, I, I grew up, you know, I, 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 I'm religious and I grew up kind of knowing, Oh yeah, you you always listen to those promptings and you know, you're told those promptings come from God. It wasn't until I've had a loved one that has crossed over to heaven where I, I have felt like that's their way of, communicating mm-hmm. and it could be it could be directly to you you wake up in the middle of the night but I also believe that other people also have a have a play in that and that um, when you get those promptings you might be helping someone else um, and you might be pushed by something greater than than what you currently know and I think that's the takeaways now that I have haze on the other side when I get those feelings mm-hmm. I can't deny him because to me that's Hayes talking to me, okay. you know. And no longer I grew up kind of thinking that that's you know that's what we call you know that's that's the spirit right or you know you hear that in religious terms. For me, having a loved one on the other side to me that that's that's my son. That's him. That impression is 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 him. Whether it's helping this family, I feel like I have that's 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 Hayes pushing me. Um, and so that yeah, I mean a lot of those a lot of those times I can't deny now. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of that's that's him. Yeah. That's how I communicate with him. And I think when you go through these difficult challenges, whatever it might be, if it is cancer, or on a daily basis something else, you know, even if it's just something simple that's just you, 
a lot of these times we go through it and there may not be a good outcome. We may not have that storybook ending like you said, right? Like perfect scenario would have been Kate Hayes beats this and goes on to live an amazing life with, with his two other triplet siblings yep. there and the rest of your family and everything. But sometimes that's just not in the cards. And it might not be for our own good, but it, sometimes it might be for other people that the things you can do and the impact you can have on other people, what you can learn and what other people can take away from it. Look at now, just the tens of thousands, probably eventually millions of people that Hayes' story will touch and impact. Someone else is going to go through something like this and probably use Hayes as, a, as, as their source of inspiration. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in Barcelona a month ago, a month mm-hmm. and a half ago, and I was in the streets of Barcelona in Spain, right? And uh, we, we made it a goal to go visit a family in, in the hospital. Our cab driver you know, took us, and we were getting out of the cab. And as I got out of the cab, I was cross. I, you know, got the cab up on the right side of the road. I got off on the curb, got immediately out of the cab, and I, I hear a voice from across the street, and he said, "Hey, Mr. Tate." And I look over, and it's this guy, you know, uh, Spaniard, beard, smoking. And I tell Savannah, I said, "Who's, who's this?" And she said, I, "I don't know who this is." And, he says, Mr. Mr. Tate, he's you know, calling me over, gesturing, calling me over. and So I cross the road, go over, and he says, I follow you on Instagram. And I said, what? He says, I follow you on Instagram. And I'm, I'm literally almost blown to tears. I th- what, you, you follow me on Instagram? He says, I can't, I can't believe you're in my country. I can't believe I, I just saw you. And he says, my son's battling a brain tumor. Wow. And he says... You know, and he went on to tell me the prognosis didn't look good. But it, I'll never forget, he said, you've made it okay. You've made it okay that I, I see you surviving and you've made it okay. And, and, and I, I feel like I can, I can get through anything because you've shared this story and I, I'm haze tough. I'm haze tough. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm in tears and he's in tears. And, you know, we're back and forth speaking Spanish and English. And I go on my, uh, you know, we, we, de- uh, departed out of there on a cruise and about a week into the cruise I get a message from him that his son had just passed away and I sat back and I said there's no reason him and I are there's no reason our paths should have crossed yeah absolutely and, and it could it, have been 10 seconds on either side you miss each other he was out having a smoke break uh-huh. I was in a cab happened to stop at the right time you know our paths it, it, it to me the, it was things aligned for a reason and I'm a believer in that and now I whether it's me helping him or him helping me that's what I've realized with sharing our story it's humanity is so much better than sometimes we understand and I think we have this you know the media is full of negative and there's a lot of negative but it, they also don't report some of the amazing things like this and humanity is amazing and whether it was you know, for me, that conversation that conversation helped me more than it helped him. But it, it made me realize that you're right. That Hayes' legacy, that moment, it 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 must it solidified just how impactful his life was, and share how important it is to share his story, despite the outcome and despite sometimes how hard it is to share. That it is helping somebody across the country or across the world. And you never know which paths you're going to cross, but just by something you said or did, it, it could be a, a way in which you've helped somebody 
overcome something as serious as death of a child or depression or whatever it is, whatever challenges they're facing, you may be the reason that they overcome it. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of summarize and wrap up all this, is there a one thing that you feel like if when you talk to somebody else who's maybe going through a similar experience, the one thing you've learned or you feel like the good you've seen come of this, what's the biggest message if you could communicate that to somebody? Oh, you know, I, I think I've touched on a, a lot of those. You know, I said, I mentioned living in the now. Living um, in the now. But I think more importantly is, is uh, you know, when I was dealt with this, there's really only two ways to go. And, and there's you have two options. I mean, it really is that simple. You can allow something like this to take hold of you and, and determine the outcome of your life by a world full of darkness or sorrow or loneliness or you somehow grasp to anything that's good cling to that and and then use that to to propel you into something greater and perhaps live for the loved one that you lost or the tragedy that you faced um I sat back and I've had moments of darkness and I and it's it's a bad world and I, I remember thinking to myself what would my what would Hayes want and I know just by his example of when he faced chemo he didn't sulk he didn't feel sorry for himself he didn't cry he didn't say how bad he hated it he didn't have the voice inside that said I want to quit Hayes didn't have that and it made me realize as adults we sometimes give into that voice we feel sorry for ourselves there's a voice inside our head that says this is too hard and we we could all use a little more haze in that sense of you know what it's not fair but it's the life i was given and i'm going to make the most of it Mm -hmm. because that's something i've been a big believer in and, and would love to communicate to everybody as we continue to do this podcast is that Quite frankly, bad things are going to keep happening to you throughout your entire life. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes there are good things, but sure enough, something bad is going to happen depending on how big it might be. And literally the only thing you can do is decide how to react to that. You can either decide to make the most of it and find a positive or silver lining in this case, or you can let it defeat you. But to me, and using Hayes' as an example, like, you have to be tough. You have to find a way to keep fighting and to make the most out of any situation. That's all we can do. You can't control what happens to you. You can only control how you react to it. And I think that is an incredible message that Hayes will always leave with everybody else that will be his lasting part of. Yeah, An amazing lasting legacy. Um, Let's just uh, touch on again. So the Hayes Tough Foundation, is there a website? Yeah, so you go to HayesTough.org. Um, it's it, like we mentioned, we rely on a lot of donations, private donations. We, sh- we sell a lot of Haze Tough gear, hats, socks, shirts. Um, that's HazeTough.org. You can also buy my book there, but my book um, is also goes to the foundation. So okay. it's not, I'm not profiting from mm-hmm. this. Um, the, but it's available uh, worldwide. Uh, your, any Barnes and Noble carries it. So it's, it's now available to purchase. and. Okay. And that's a way to help. Um, and again, it's called the Twenty Month Legend. The Twenty Month Legend, yeah, and it's by, by by Steve Tate. And if you if you Google that, you'll be able to find it. It's on Target.com, Barnes and Noble, Simon and Schuster, um, Amazon as okay. well. So uh, cool. it's available pretty much anywhere. Yeah, and you can follow probably follow Steve on Instagram. I'm sure he posts continually yeah. about that stuff. Do it. So it's at Steve Tate twenty eight at, at Tate twenty eight Tate twenty eight. Yeah. Okay. 
yep. at Take 28. And I know there's got links to all this stuff too yep. um, if you want to do that. But uh, Steve, thank you so much Absolutely. for doing this. Hayes will always be an inspiration to I think so many people. I'm glad you were able to come and share this um, incredible story with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Steve.